Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. If you would, get your Bibles, open them up to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. You guys might... Be shocked, two weeks in a row in the Old Testament. Second Samuel chapter 6. Second Samuel chapter 6, it's actually talking about uh, David's uh, anointing in, as, a, as king. Uh, through anointing, David was kind of thrown straight into chaos. As soon as, as, soon as he took the throne, um, enemies started saying, we're going to fight him, we're going to fight him, we're going to fight him, because they were trying, they thought no leadership, new leadership, so it starts at, is is quite capable because the Lord said, "I'm giving you the battle, praising it's yours." Uh, so he pretty much knows that he's going to. Uh, but the the cost of these battles was this: the Ark of the Covenant was in Jerusalem where it was supposed to be. Then the Ark of the Covenant was moved out of Jerusalem and taken by an enemy, and then was retrieved taken and put in a safe place until it could be reunited with Israel and King David. Now, the significance in this as we go through this story, what you're going to have to pick up on is the Ark of the Covenant isn't an object. An Ark, the Ark of the Covenant is the presence of God. Okay? Uh, the instructions in the instructions in the creation of it, the angels who touch wings from both opposite sides of the ark had their uh, their wings outstretched. It is the seat of God, the Ark of the Covenant at this time. He lived in tents. They hauled him all over the desert. They pitched a tent. The tent was just much just as much like the like uh, the temple in in Jerusalem now. Uh, he was treated exactly the same way as was when the temple was built. They wandered around the desert. It was time for them to stop somewhere for a while. They put a giant tent up, which was, which was the portico to the temple, and then they had the inside place, which was the holy, the holy, uh, holy place, and then they had it separated by a petition on the other side. It was the holiest of holies. It was the exact same thing. So the Ark of the Covenant is the presence of God. All right. You have to remember that through this story, because every time we talk about the Ark of the Covenant, that's the point that I want you to get about what it's saying about the presence of God. Now, I'm not going to jump around a whole lot, and you guys might get out of here a little bit early today. We'll see. But I'm going to tell you the premise of this message. Christians are way too stinking sappy. I've never in my life, and my whole life, never seen it. And hey, I'm standing up here saying this knowing that I have been the sappy one plenty of times, okay? But when you look at Christians in the world today, you wonder, why in the world would they want what you've got? If you're more unhappy now than you were when you were before you were a Christian, if, if everything that you have going on the point says, folks, what do we have to be done about? What do we have to be scared of? What do we have to worry about? What do we have? I mean, get this. I mean, if we really do believe this story and everything that Jesus has told us, reinforced many times throughout Scripture, Jesus Christ came to earth, lived the perfect life, died on the cross for our sins. 
Amen? You trust in him. You say, I believe that. Hear me, death has been taken off the table. The table. I get it. Some people, you know, like to live this physical life as long as we can. I mean, it's just like my dad used to say. Uh, most people, if there was a train leaving for heaven today, they wouldn't necessarily want to buy a ticket if there's another train leaving tomorrow. Makes sense, right? We're attached to things down here. Sometimes too attached to things. But we're as attached to things as we're supposed to be. Jesus doesn't tell us to detach from things. We're supposed to be attaching to people. We're supposed to be showing people who he is. We're supposed to be involving ourselves in people's lives. But when we see Christians become unhappy, and in their unhappiness, it begins to destroy, to destroy their lives, all of this is over a mirage. Because in order for us to really fear, be- fear death, we have to really believe that Jesus didn't take it off the table. You get that? In order for us to live our lives in chaos, we have to not trust him. I'll tell you what I mean. I've had migraine headaches for 34 years since I was 16 years old and never went away. I went through those phases in my life because I'm sitting there thinking, does my God have the power to heal me? He does. Is my God cruel and unusual to his children? No. If I trust him, knowing he can take it away, knowing that he is not being cruel to me, it means one thing. He has a purpose in it. Now, my trust will answer this question. Is his purpose in it enough? Because if it is, guess what you don't waste another ounce worrying about? The Lord's going to use us how he's going to use us. This is, uh, to be honest with you, it's too simple for the human mind to comprehend. And let me explain to you what what I mean. In life, we always have been taught and told, and rightfully so on this planet, that your actions carry consequences. That if you get anything in life, it will not be given to you. Right? You must go out and work for what you have. Guess what has bled its way into the church? You must work for what you have. It is a lie straight from the pits of hell. It robs us of our joy. It robs us of our peace. It robs us of the life that Jesus promised us. If Jesus said, I came not just to bring life, but to bring it more abundant, to bring it to its fullest. I've always been tall. I was six foot tall in sixth grade. And I love playing basketball in sixth grade, six foot tall, because I can just hold the basketball like this and all these little kids jump up Do you think God's doing that with all of his blessings? Then why do we act like it? Honestly. But why do we act like it? Because it's not. It's it's literally him pushing the buffet, buffet table in front of us and going, all of it's yours, and it's free. And then we kick into the lifestyle thinking, nothing in life's free. What's the catch? No catch. There is no catch. If you trust in Jesus, there is no longer consequence for your sin. There is on earth. You will always suffer earthly consequences for your sin. 
but you will not suffer consequences up there for your sin. The Bible's clear. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That when he forgave you, he forgave you past, present, and future. And not only says he forgave you, but it says, as far as the east is from the west, drowned in the sea of forgetfulness. How many of you guys have made mistakes in your past? I'm going to raise both hands. How many of you refuse to let go of those mistakes in your past? And we spend all of this time allowing that to sap us of our excitement and our happiness because we've been duped by Satan himself in trying to convince us that our actions are what are important. If that's true, what was the cross for? Now, you've heard me preach many times before. This doesn't mean that we just fly through life by the seat of our britches. It doesn't mean that we don't accept responsibilities as God has given them. It doesn't mean we just become lazy and wait for all these things to happen. The instruction in the Bible is clear. You run to him, you will find your peace and happiness. You run away from him, you run away from peace and happiness. That's just the way that it is. We think because we make mistakes, he set us in the corner. He's going to wait 15 minutes to talk to us. I used to love doing that at camp. Kids get in trouble at camp, and I'd sit them in this one building where they sweat. It's really hot. There's no air conditioning. And I'd just stand back about 50 yards and watch them for an hour. These kids just sweating like crazy, knowing Keith's coming. God don't do that to us. He doesn't do that to us. As a matter of fact, we make a mistake and think he's going to be mad at us, and while we run away, he chases us. Remember? The parable of the 99 sheep and the one. We go crazy, he chases us. So the question is, when Jesus said that he came to bring life, not just to bring life, but to bring it to its fullest, when Jesus said that, what did he mean? Well, the ark is coming home. It's been on this journey. It's been outside of the presence of Israel for long enough. When it was outside of the presence of Israel, you should have seen the chaos that ensued. It comes back. David gets it. Ask me how I know he gets it. Come on, somebody ask me. Southern Baptists are all fuddy-duddies. I'm serious. I told people when I came here, I am not a traditional Southern Baptist. I will not be a traditional Southern Baptist. Traditional Southern Baptists operate on church doctrine. We don't operate on church doctrine. We operate on biblical doctrine. Okay? And I grew up my entire life, and one thing that stuck in my brain, what can Southern Baptists not do? Dance. Within our own church doctrine, they're sucking the joy out of your life. Because Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 4, what does it say? There is a time to what? Dance. The story here? Read with me. Let's start at chapter 6. Start with verse 1. We'll read down to about 16. Now David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. David arose and went with all of the people who were with him to Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the very name of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned above the cherubim. And they placed the ark of God on a new cart that they might bring it from the house 
of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and, and Uzzah, and Ahio, and the sons of Abinadab were leading the new cart. So they brought it with the ark of God from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Ahio was walking ahead of the ark. Meanwhile, David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all kinds of instruments made from, from fir wood and with lyres, harps, uh, tambourines, and castanets and cymbals. But when they came to the, the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out toward the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen nearly upset it. And, and the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down, and there, for here's a reverence, and he died there by the ark of God. You say, wait a minute, this is pretty serious consequences, right? I mean, these dudes go after the Ark of, of the, the Ark of the Covenant, they put it on a brand new cart, they're walking it through, and as they're walking it through, they approach the threshing floor. When they approach the threshing floor, the brand new cart, Ark of the Covenant slides on it. Young man reaches up and grabs it to keep it from falling. He falls over dead. Why? Point number one. This is the first thing that will help you with your happiness. God does not need your help. He does not need your help. He just needs you to be obedient. He said, don't touch the ark. What does that mean? Don't touch the ark. This is God's seat. Do you think he's going to let it fall and break to pieces? You will become the most unhappy person on the planet if you decide that you're going to take God's job. Because the fact is, you can't do it. It's, it's what I said a few weeks ago. It's as simple, folks. Highland has struggled through this whole coronavirus thing. I honestly wondered if it was going to make it at times. And it was bugging me and robbing me of my joy and my happiness. And finally, one day, God goes, you worry about what I told you to worry about and let me worry about what I'm supposed to worry about. And it dawned on me. Just do what you're supposed to and leave the results up to God. You know how much pressure that relieves from a person? All of a sudden, I don't have to force meet people. You know what I mean? The ones where you're trying to force a meeting because people don't want to talk. I don't have to force it. Why? Not my responsibility. Honestly, if I have to talk you into coming to church here, I don't want you here anyway. You're not going to be good for the church. You're not going to be good for Jesus. If you're not supposed to be here, I don't want you to be here. If you're supposed to be at a church down the street, please go to the church down the street. Why? Because that's God's call, not mine. And as much as it may shock you, it's God's call, not yours. We go where God wants us. Let him deal with the results of that. If he wants us in a place for a specific purpose, we have to realize the importance of us being obedient in that. But being obedient in it, not because we're afraid he's going to whip us if we're not, but being obedient in it so that the joy that we own is something that's expressible through our service and ministry to other people. This is it, folks. Church family. That's what it is. We love each other, even when we're unlovable. Especially when we're unlovable. There isn't one of us in this place that needed any less grace than anyone else. 
Not one of us. And as much as I would love to hang on some mistakes of the past, Jesus is up there going, what are you griping about? And I'm trying to convince him of something that he forgot as far as the east is from the west and drowned it in the sea of forgetfulness. Hey, God, do you remember? No idea what you're talking about. So why are we carrying it? Is it some form of self-penance? Do we feel like Paul that we deserve to feel like that? Because I'm pretty sure that if Jesus came and brought to us what he intended for us to have and we accepted it, life would be much different for many of us. You see, for some people, and you've heard me say this before, the bumper sticker that says, Jesus is my co-pilot. I love the one that somebody came out with after that that said, if Jesus is your co-pilot, switch seats. Because Jesus should be the pilot. He should be steering the ship. He should be flying the plane. He should be driving the car. And we should just be willing to go wherever it is that he wants to take us. God doesn't need our help. Verse 8. David became angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. So David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? You know what the presence of God will provoke as long as we're people who actually will make that presence relevant? It'll provoke a very fearful self-examination. Did it in the New Testament too, you remember? You remember, uh, what was their names? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to misspell their names. Let me just put it this way so I don't, mis nobody misquotes me. Husband and wife, brand new church. Church is blowing up like crazy. Thousands of people are joining it every day. Two individuals are selling their house and they're giving the money to the church. They've announced this l loudly, that they're selling their house, they're giving the money to the church. The husband walks in, hands the money to the church, and one of the apostles says, is this everything? He said, yep, fell over dead. His wife comes in. They say, is that what you sold your house for? Yep, she fell over dead. And the Bible says that they took her out and they buried her right next to her husband. Now, even though we get peace and joy and excitement. Guess what else we get? You ever been taken out behind the tool shed by Jesus? We get disciplined by Jesus too. The presence of God will discipline us. The presence of God will make us realize who God is. The presence of God will discipline us. It's, it's this simple. How many of you guys had a mom and dad that if you did things you absolutely were not supposed to do, you knew you were going to get beat within an inch of your life when they got home? How many of you treated, how many of you acted different when you were around your parents and differently when you were not around your parents? You see what I'm saying? Mom and dad be in Arkansas. We knew it took them two and a half hours to get back. We always tried to trick grandma to let us know so we had the warning so we could do the two hour rush on cleaning the house up, make sure there's no evidence of the parties that happened that weekend. Because if mom and dad was home, those things would have never happened. Right? This is no different. This is the presence of God. 
You tell me, how hard is it for you to step out of line if you realize that Jesus is standing next to you holding your hand? It's pretty hard. So the presence of God will discipline us in the same way that, that the presence of our parents disciplines us. Uh, verse 10 says, and, and David was unwilling to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David with him, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. So he gets the ark back. It's finally his. He's excited about having the ark back. But one person touched the ark, wasn't supposed to, fell over dead. Then David gets scared, and he's like, do I really want this thing inside the city? He knew what Israel was full of. Do I really want the presence of God in my life? The presence of God in my life may not always be a positive influence on the people in your life. You get it? Hear me out. There's a line here. Did Jesus say don't throw your pearls before swine? What do you mean by that? He meant not everybody's worthy of the gospel. He even went this far with it. He said, if you, if you throw your pearls before swine, they will turn, trample them, and then tear you to pieces. His point was, do what I want you to do when I want you to do it. You may walk past 500 people in one day, and it may be number 501 where God grabs you by the scruff of your neck and goes, that's it, go tell them about me. He didn't want you necessarily to be so charismatic that you were going to share the gospel with 500 people. Do you got the 501? The presence of God is a positive influence to us, but it's scary to other people. My little brother lived a very, very wild life in his young years. My mom was worried about him. And she heard a preacher one time that said, one of the scariest things that you can pray is, Lord, whatever it takes. And she got so concerned about my, about my little brother one night that she prayed, Lord, whatever it takes. He rolled his car that day on its top. When he found out that my mom prayed that prayer, he was not happy. You see, folks, even though we may see God's presence as a negative in other individuals' lives, or they may see it as a negative, God's presence in another individual's life is never a negative. So David's off in his thinking here. What do you mean? You don't want to move the presence of God into your city? I think that many times we're scared and don't want to move God into our city either. We worry about what the, what the effect of us is going to be. We worry about what the effect of the others around us are going to be. Verse 12 says, Now it was told King David, saying, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him on account of the ark of God. David sent and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. Now, before I cover this, I got this is funny. I, this, I just take this as funny. <laughs> he sends the ark to Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom actually holds it for a while. And then he sends word to David, and I'm going to paraphrase this, okay? Hey, man, this thing's not misfiring at all. It's doing just fine. There's been nothing but blessings come on my house since you dropped this thing over here. David, I'll be right over get it. That's really what happened. The king goes, I don't want to move that thing into my city. Who knows what the consequences are? Let's go stick it over there. Mikey, he'll eat anything. 
And then after, after Mikey eats it, and they find out it tastes good, didn't, didn't make anybody, then everybody else wanted to eat it. Remember? This was exactly David's plan. Let's settle over there. Make sure it doesn't cause any big problems over there. You obed eat them. Hey, we've been nothing but blessed since the thing's been sent over here. Okay, I'll be right to send people out to pick it up. He's picking it up. Now he's bringing it back. Take a look at this. Look at verse 14. David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. Anybody care to do a little bit of Hebrew translation for me? David was dancing in his underwear. He was dancing in his underwear. I mean, that sounds pretty crazy, doesn't it? And did you, did you notice what it said there? I mean, look what it says. This is funny. In, in 14, and David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. Have you ever seen a white guy dance with all his might? I guarantee you David looked like he was crazy as a loon down the street with the Ark of the Covenant behind him. Do you think David cared one bit what anybody thought he looked like? We sing a song here once in a while. Undignified. It's a camp song. Undignified basically means you just completely lose control. And let's face it, we're Baptists. We're not even Baptocostal anymore. You sing a song about victory in Jesus, and we stand there and sing it three octaves lower than it's supposed to be. And the person next to you may not even know what you're singing. Right? Am I convincing anybody? Victory in Jesus. Let this sink in, folks. You have victory in Jesus. Death no longer holds any power over you. Sin no longer can suffer its consequence against you. Your peace is untouchable if you lock it in God's presence. You want excitement in your marriage? Make sure Jesus is in the center of it. You want to live life at its fullest? Make sure Jesus is in the center of it. You want to do something for the Lord that is meaningful, that's absolutely fulfilling? Keep Jesus in the center of it. Because we have no idea what we do when we remove ourselves or remove him from each other's presence. It robs us of everything. Now you may say, hey, you sure God supported that little display? I mean, king of Israel running down the street ahead of the ark in his underwear, dancing at the top of his effort. We had a wife by the name of Michal. Michelle, you can call her whatever you want to. It's M-I-C-H-A-L. This wife, she was embarrassed that David was in the street dancing in his underwear. How many of you guys have ever been around anybody who was embarrassed by the way that you were acting because you were just excited about Jesus. I, I walk through Walmart, talk to God all the time. He talks back to me too. It's pretty amazing. We have a conversation back and forth. Of course, if they put me in a padded room, he asked that question, they'd probably just lock it and leave me in there the rest of the time. 
But we have these conversations all the time, me and Jesus. Of course, you can hear my side of it, but you can't hear his side of it when you're walking down the aisle. Imagine what I look like. I mean, we're talking about everything under the sun. You ever been walking through the store, just break out in a hymn? Come on. How many of you guys are telling me that you, you, you mean you feel uneasy about doing something like that? Diana's very easily embarrassed. When we found this out, she's in Walmart. We'll walk in Walmart and just yelling, Diana! She's mortified. Of course, she won't come to us because everybody doesn't really know who Diana is, and then she's really mortified. As Christians, guys, we got to get people who get this right. God can't help us if we run away from him. He can't do it. Run to him. Don't remove yourself from his presence. Well, how do you remove yourself from God's presence? Go to church. I don't care where. Make sure that they're, they're teaching solid fundamental doctrine. Make sure that it's where the Lord wants you to be and go there. Not because I think that you're going to financially change the world or that people are going to be able to drain you of your finances. Not because of any other reason except for if you want God's presence in your life, you have to go where he is. That's why everything in the Bible is reactionary. Seek. Knock. Ask. It doesn't say I'll open it without you knocking. It doesn't say that. You have to initiate it. He will not force you to do it. There's no glory in that. I'm not a Calvinist. I believe there's personal responsibility and personal choices in every individual's life and that there are consequences for those choices. I don't believe that God wired people to do everything that they do. I believe that that destroys his character and changes him on a molecular level. He is a God who will respond to you with a promise. Go to church. How do you remove him from your presence? It's not that hard to do. All you got to do is just disclude him. Don't let him have part in your conversations and your decisions. Don't let him have part in, in, uh, in the glory for you having the ability to sit around a table and share a meal. Don't give him the time of day for the air you breathe. Don't give him the time of day for the clean water that you have the ability to drink. Honestly, if, if, if you had to come up with a list of things that you could thank God for, how long would that list be? But what's God get? He gets a bunch of people who want nothing from him until they want something from him. I call him the raincoat God. We always leave him up behind the door, but if we're about to leave the house and it's raining, we'll pick him up and put him on. But as soon as we come back home and the rain's quit, we'll take him back off and hang him back up on the coat rack. If you had a friendship like that, how would that friendship look? Anybody in here know anybody that just all they'll ever call you for is something? They just want something. They never want to call and find out what's going on in your life. Never want to know. Never want to know any. Just they need your help. When do we most talk to God? When we need his help. And there are believers, and I get it, we get there. There are believers who will go long periods of time and not pray. I'm going to close with this. If you want life to change for you, 
you can't keep doing the same things that you're doing. Definition of insanity? What happens when you do the same thing over and over again when you expect a different result? It's insanity. So I got a question for you in closing. Are you happy? Because I want you to know, again, your circumstances have nothing to do with that happiness. Because I just stood up here and showed you biblically how, how those consequences, those circumstances have been removed out of the way. So if you're not living your happiest life, whose fault is it? Look, folks, the presence of God is necessary. And I know, I know, just like the guys who touched it and fell over dead, the presence of God is scary. And the presence of God will hold us accountable. But the, present, the, the presence of God will also fulfill promises. He's not somebody who walks around with a stick over our head waiting for us to make a mistake. He has mercy and grace. He's ready to say, I forgive you. Now, would you get back on your feet and get back where I told you to be? Forget it. Get back where I told you to be. I tell people all the time, couples, I tell them all the time, you want your relationship touched by Jesus, you put him on top of that pyramid. A husband and wife had better love Jesus more than they love each other. A husband and wife had better love Jesus more than they love their child. Because that's the only way that your spouse and your child are going to see Jesus through you. And I'm telling you, I've lived long enough to know this, a whole lot of people get to the latter years in their life and they have regrets because of ways that they did not include Jesus in their life when they were raising their kids. The Old Testament was given to us so that we could learn from the mistakes of the Israelites. And we're given the same opportunity right now. I want to see your kids grow up and be great soldiers of Jesus Christ with an accuracy to the theology to pinpoint the way that individuals deal with other individuals. Because the way Jesus said to do it's important. This is why we do what we do. So if you're here today, you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you, if the Holy Spirit touches you, to walk down this aisle. You may be here and say, I haven't, what do you mean when the Holy Spirit touches me? I can't even stand up here and explain it. I will just tell you that if it happens, you will know it. Okay? If it happens, don't let Satan talk you into staying in a pew. Step out in this aisle, walk up here. I can't save you, but I'll take whatever time is necessary to make sure that you know very well the one that can. If you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus, are you happy? And if you're not, I'm standing up here and telling you the problem. It's because Jesus has been taken out of the picture. Spend this time with him. Get things right with him. You and him. Get things right with him and get him back where he's supposed to be. And get your life back where it's supposed to be. Because that's what it takes. Thanks again for listening. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, discipleship, or if you have prayer requests, you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. Have a blessed week and go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Highland Gospel Mission was produced by Zach Link, with preaching by Keith Perrin. Music 
provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.